Welcome to the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. In these episodes, we will explore all things related to gaining a coveted appointment to the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and West Point. And here are your hosts, Rob Kirkland and Trish Penroth. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the uh, Service uh, Academy uh, Admissions Podcast. Uh, I'm uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Rob Kirkland, and I'm back after a, a week, a couple, a week off, or a couple weeks off. With Trish, did a great job with the uh, Merchant Marine Academy uh, 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 session here. I thought that was awesome. Maybe I need to retire. Thanks so much. And uh, <laughs> no, we're glad to have you back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. It's easier to do with three people rather than uh, two. So uh, you know, so uh, you know, but it was uh, great. I really learned a lot from that episode on the Merchant Marine Academy, and um, so did I. Yeah, it was tremendous. I mean, it's really uh, not, uh, you know, I mean, so many things that were new to me and and uh, the background of him and everything that he told us was fantastic. So congratulations on a great uh, episode. And um, so we got another uh, great uh, person this week here is um, uh, a Naval Academy a graduate, class of uh, 2020. And we're going to kind of do a deep dive here on the Naval Academy. I mean, you know, Trish, you and I are Air Force and Army, and you know, we don't really know too much about Navy other than you know there there were our rivals uh, in sports, and and uh, you know, and and you know, we're always being told to beat Navy and you know things like that. But you know, we but you know, we want to learn more about you know the Naval Academy, and you know, certainly you know, get insiders uh, look at this. And who we got on the podcast today is Ensign Jack Dale. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's really great to have him on here today. So Jack, it's great to have you here. And we just wanted to, uh, just say hello and uh, introduce yourself to, to our listeners. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm glad I could, uh, log on here and contribute a little bit to the superior, the view of the superior service Academy and, uh, <laughs> Victor, Victor and football for 14 years straight. We're not going to talk about the, uh, outcome of the four years that, oh, that I was there, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to throw my, my own two cents in there, but <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, Ensign Jack Dale. Like you said, I graduated from uh, the Naval Academy in 2020. Kind of a very unique uh, year to graduate, especially with the uh, global pandemic. But we made it through. Um, I'm originally from Northern California. I grew up in a small town called Discovery Bay in in the state of California. I graduated from Heritage High School in uh, 2016, and my family, as soon as we figured out that, that that's what I wanted to, to pursue and, and move over and pursue my dreams at the, at, at the Naval Academy, we, uh, we all packed up and moved out east. My, my family lives in North Carolina now, so I claim about 80, 80% home state of California and about 20% North Carolina as I spend more and more time there. Um, uh, I currently live in San Diego, California. I'm stationed on uh, DDG-86, uh, the USS Shoop. It's a guided missile destroyer stationed here in San Diego, uh, and I'm I'm loving it out here. I'm about I'd say 20% through my first tour here. I just uh, adopted a couple new pets and just uh, working through my qualifications as a surface warfare officer, which is my service selection. Awesome, That's fantastic. Yeah, San Diego, man, I love San Diego. I, I live up here in LA and. Uh, you know, a little bit of ways away from you. Uh, and so, yeah, we always try to go down to San Diego and visit and do some vacationing. So definitely, uh, definitely awesome place to be stationed. I, I, I'm always jealous of the Navy. They're always, they always get the great spots, you know, the great, you know, whereas they, the army sticks you out here at Fort Sill in Oklahoma or Fort Polk, Louisiana. (laughs) (laughs) Well, exciting, exciting news, a quick little tidbit, if you don't mind, uh, just kind of pl- a plug here for surface warfare officers uh, for our billets just reopened. Uh, originally, this wasn't an option for second tour division officers, but um, if you don't want to go to to Fort Sill or Louisiana, you can uh, you can now go to Italy as your second tour as a surface warfare officer. Oh, they opened that open opened that one back up this year. That's a pretty pretty recent change. <laughs> You know, it's bad in the army when they say like, you know, when you say you're going to be stationed at Fort Polk in Louisiana and they say, well, you know, at least there's a Walmart an hour away. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hey, don't knock on Wally World too much. You get all okay. your essentials there. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, I'm just, you know, here I am busting on my own service here. So, uh, Jack, what, what, uh, so why, you know, okay, why not West Point? Okay. Or, or the Air, <laughs> or Force, the Air, or the Air Force Academy. Academy. Okay. Why, why Annapolis? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. Uh, I, you know, if you had asked me that question, I'd say at the beginning of my senior year of high school, I don't think Annapolis was fully set in my mind yet. Uh, I, I come from a, a family full of full of law enforcement background. Uh, my uncle was a law enforcement officer in Santa Clara for most of his uh, most of his young life. My my dad was a 28 year veteran of the San Jose Police Department in Northern California, and originally I was thinking Coast Guard because I wanted to you know, kind of father-son sort of thing. My father's my, my role model and my hero, and I kind of wanted to, to follow in foot, his footsteps a little bit while still kind of doing something in, in, in the service world, the uniform services. But I think what really swung me was, um, I know my, my love, it sounds cheesy, but my love for the ocean. I, I grew up I grew up on the water. I <laughs> wakeboarded, water skied. I grew up ocean fishing, going out uh Actually, just up the coast here, out of the port of Long Beach, going on uh, fishing charter trips with my with my grandfather, and the Coast Guard doesn't really get to go out that that far in the ocean, and I I, I love the mystery of it, uh, and just just the immense power and and the uh, the leadership opportunities you have after after the academy. That um, not many other services you get to sail on a on a six hundred foot warship and literally take command of the seas i that just was such a big grand idea in my in my young developing brain i was like you know what i could i could go to could go to afghanistan with the army um i could live in um new york for a while and 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 west point it was it was on my radar but I, i feel like it was that that kind of swung me did you ever apply to any of the other surface academies or was it always annapolis uh, so I went about 50% through the Coast Guard Academy application, uh, and then and then decided to just kind of put all my eggs in one basket. It was it was a risky move, but uh, the Naval Academy was actually the only service academy application I sent in um, as a, as a complete application. Well, c- congratulations! It sounds yeah. like things worked out. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm glad they did. I, if I could go back and do it again, I definitely would have would not have taken that big of a risk. But <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> definitely. Well, yeah. Well, good. So, so um, tell us about your uh, getting into Annapolis and and just sort of you know we have a acronym that we use uh, called the SAL, the Scholar Athlete Leader. And we're just interested if you could kind of talk a little bit about kind of how you fit into the scholar athlete leader model, um, you know, uh, and, and regarding the admission to, uh, to to the Naval Academy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, th- th- I mean, that's what that's what all the all all of the service academies are all about is uh, accepting, um, vetting, and, and accepting a well-rounded person. If if you're the if you're the star star football player or any sport if you're the the star you're the captain for three out of your four years in high school, that's that's an incredible accomplishment that shouldn't be thrown to the thrown to the back. But if that's all you did and and nothing else, what the admission what I've learned about the admission admissions boards especially especially in Annapolis is they're like okay this person will succeed in this aspect but how is he going to be able to even compete with our with our other candidates in a different field they, they want they want the full round circle and i to be honest with you i really think that that was what secured my way in was branching out as far as possible i i was good at a lot of things but i wasn't really number one in any one particular thing so for example for you for your acronym starting with the scholar that was one of the things that um was one of my strong suits. I, I think, if I remember the number correctly, I think I graduated number thirty or number twenty-five in my high school class of six hundred. So that def- I wasn't a valedictorian, I wasn't a salutatorian, but I was up there, and and graduated with a, a four point two GPA. So that that does help. 
Very impressive. Definitely, definitely a big check in the box. Um, yeah, so taking taking advanced placement classes, I'm not really sure what they call it on the East Coast. I think they call AP something different. But um, I definitely focused a lot in academics. Um, for the athlete part, swimming was my was my whole passion ever since I was about seven years old. Uh, and, and that was one where I wasn't as strong. I never was a team captain. I was part of the the senior leadership kind of organization on the team. I would help plan plan our meets and our and our travels. And I had a, I had a few races that I was I was pretty competitive in at our state meet, but I, I never was the the all star swimmer. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that's what it, it's all about the balance there. And then and then leadership. I, I think this one this one can branch out and do. A, a bunch of different directions. And I think one that really stood out for my application in particular, and like I said, what, what helped a lot was was the community service aspect. Uh, I was in scouts ever since I was four or five years old. I forget what age you start, Tiger, Tiger Cub Scouts. But uh, I, I think at the end, when I put in my, my academy application, I had about 1,000 to 1,100 community service hours logged. I'd I loved I loved branching out and and reaching out to the community and, and helping out as needed, and I, I don't want to I don't want to step step too far forward in the conversation, but uh, particularly for the congressional interviews, that that is a huge huge check in the box there. Uh, so yeah, just getting out in your community. It doesn't necessarily have to be scouting, but th- that is one of the quickest and easiest ways to get into a whole bunch of different opportunities for community service. Um, and then, and then other, other things besides community service. Uh, I also was part of our kind of, uh, you're, you're, re- you're really testing me here. Remembering, remembering <laughs> back five, six years back into the early days of high school. But, uh, we had a, we had a leadership class and, and club that I was a part of, uh, started and founded one of, uh, one of one of the other clubs I was a part of in in high school, and then I also started uh, my own community service organization specifically for Contra Costa County in Northern California. Well, it sounds like you had um, you know some really good um, you know uh, characteristics there. I think that the certainly the academies are are looking for. Uh, you don't mind me asking, Jack, with your scholar, what was your um, what was your top uh, at, what was your SAT or ACT score? And I take it you took AP Calculus, uh, the AB, uh, a, uh, your senior year. So that's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up because in in my own mind, I don't know if this is if this is true or not, but I feel like my application was very unique. Uh, I was actually homeschooled kindergarten through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be held back as of my birthday being late in the year. And my, my mom realized that, hey, my, my son's ready for more advanced classes. She pulled me out of the public school system in kindergarten. I jumped a year or two ahead. And then when I went back into public, the public school system for ninth grade, they actually did not recognize any of the homeschool credits and, and charter kind of class credits that I had taken. So I actually was forced, even though I tested out of it, I was required by some California Board of Education thing to go all the way back to Algebra 1 as a freshman in high school. So I only went up to, to pre-calculus okay. in high school. I never, I never took a, a calculus class before the academy, a full, full one. And uh, so, so uh, did you, what did you get on your SAT or ACT math section? Do you remember? Um, I, so I do remember, I do remember this. I, I definitely struggled with the SAT and that's it. when I have friends from high school ask me about, about SAT, ACT kind of advice. My number one piece of advice for this is, is taking both tests some people, some people just work well with one versus the other. I performed and was able to succeed much, much at a much higher level with the ACT versus the SAT. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know now they, I think I was one of the last groups that took the old form of the SAT, the old scoring system. So I'm not even sure if my scores are re- relevant anymore right. with the way, the new way they do it. But off the top of my head, I want to say like a 590 in math on the SAT and then um, somewhere up in the 600, high 600s for 
one of the other sections, but the SAT, I actually scored, I think like a 32 or a 33 on, on the math section. I think it's, is it, is it still 34 for a max score? Yeah, on it's ACT? out of 36. 36. Okay. Yeah. So I, I scored much higher on the, on the STEM fields on the ACT. Uh, and then, so I'm not sure if this is the same for all the service academies, but with the Naval Academy, they, they will take your, your best score from the test you did the best on. Right. The super score. And so, yeah, exactly. that's, uh, clearly your ACT was much better than your SAT. And that, uh, that definitely, I'm sure, uh, helped you in, in getting that appointment. Absolutely. Yeah. So great. So good. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really good information to know. And I think it shows, uh, candidates that, you know, that are listening here is that you don't necessarily have to, uh, take AP Calc in high schools as long as your SAT or ACT math score reflects the potential of being able to do well. Uh, and, uh, what I've seen at least is, you know, around a 700 math, uh, for non-recruited athlete uh, cadets or midshipmen, which I'm assuming you fell into since you weren't recruited for swimming, or you know, punching over that 30 for ACT math is going to make a big difference uh, in kind of showing the academy that you can succeed in calculus in at at the academy, and and so um, yeah, I mean, just uh, my initial analysis there would be, you know, that that mid 30, you know, was something probably that, you know, really helped you a lot in getting, getting that appointment. That's, that's exactly true. And I I believe also another thing that kind of helped with that as well is in my, in my personal statement that I wrote, I I reflected that. And that's, that's what service academies, that's what the military in general is about is if, if there's, if there's something that's out of place or that's doesn't necessarily have to be wrong, but something that kind of makes them raise an eyebrow, like a, like from my example, uh, a lack of, of AP calculus or any any calculus class above pre-calc in high school, I, I kind of thought ahead and I was like, you know what, that's that might that might drop me down in the rankings a little bit in the admissions boards. So I addressed that in my in my personal statement. And I, I explained why why I didn't, and then and then what I did to remedy that. So I took I took some online classes in calculus to kind of prepare that didn't weren't able to be counted as part of my my transcript, but I said, hey, I really want to be here. This I've done. I've taken extra time out of school to make sure that I'm prepared to succeed here, and I think that is another thing that helped uh, helped add on to the the ACT score and showed them, hey, the student may not on on signed paper from from the from the board of Edu- education he may not have taken calculus but he is passionate about about wanting to succeed here and he's taken extra steps to ensure that he's ready to to pursue it it's very interesting too because the minimums uh, that that the service academies want to see is they they do want to see that minimum pre calc, but even with that you met the minimum and yet you still want above and beyond and explained in the personal statement, which is exactly why that exists. So that's, that's very impressive in the initiative that it shows that you took. Yeah. Thank you. I owe excuse me. I owe a lot of that credit to uh, not only my, my mom, who was a, who was a teacher and a, and a, yeah, just a teacher and an awesome homeschool instructor, but also my blue and gold officer who's been, who's been doing it for many, many years and has seen it before. And, and he kind of pointed me in the right direction and I kind of jumped on it and took it from there. That's fantastic. And it kind of leads us into the next question of, of uh, discussing nominations and, and where you secured your nomination from. Yeah. So uh, another very interesting story. I, I, I'm not trying to make myself a special case here, but I, f- I feel like I had a very u- unique way of kind of clawing my way into, into the Naval Academy. I, so I, I applied to um, for nominations from both my my California senators and my congressional district representative, um, and I did not hear back at all from either of the two senators. I when we sent in the applications, we had uh, we had the office that they were delivered to sign for them when they were delivered by by UPS, 
And so they did receive them. They signed for them. And I don't know what happened if they misplaced them. We tried calling them, but I never actually heard back that they had even received them at the senator level. Um, so that kind of leads into where I got my nomination. I was uh, very honored and to hear back from uh, my congressman, Jerry McNerney, and set up an interview with him. And that's where that's where I secured the, the nomination from. That's fantastic. And when you went into that uh, interview, did you wear your Eagle Scout uniform? Uh, I actually did not. I, I just I, I wore a very simple uh, uh, suit suit jacket and jacket and trousers. But I did have uh, my Eagle Scout award uh, pinned on on my lapel. Nice. I like it. I, I kind of figured it was a, it was a good mix of uh, not trying to be too yeah too much in, in either direction but some uh, humility yeah <laughs> a little bit yeah <laughs> and you know you've mentioned your blue and gold officer and it sounds like you know he you had a really good relationship with him and that he helped you navigate the process um how did your interview go with um the blue and gold officer yeah and it actually it went very well uh i'm, I'm not going to try to hide anything here and this is definitely not required to to, uh, to have this sort of relationship to, to get into the academy. But he was actually uh, the scout leader of my Boy Scout troop and uh, a good family friend since birth. He was our next door neighbor. It, it just was luck of the draw on that one. Uh, so I, I was already comfortable talking with, with my Blue and Gold Officer. Um, Captain, I believe now, Rear Admiral Select Knittle. Uh But yeah, it's... It, in it, just like any interview, regardless of how long you've known the person, um, you just got to prepare for it. Uh, make sure you know what you want to say, the points you want to get across, and then uh, obviously be polite, have have manners. That goes a long way. Good uh, good body language. Actually, that's that's one of the things I studied in my psych class at at USNA was um, human psychology, just as a elective on the side, and that's like the first thing that. Anyone in, in interviews, job interviews, congressional nomination boards, uh, blue and gold interviews, it's one of the first things they notice is how you dress in your body language. It's it's not an ender, an all, all-encompassing, you know, go or no-go thing, but it definitely makes a huge, huge impact on, on their opinion of you as a whole candidate. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Definitely. Did you uh, did you practice before you went in there? Practice uh, questions and things like that? Yeah, I did. Um, I didn't go over the top. I spent maybe maybe thirty to forty-five minutes uh, the the week leading up to it, just kind of bouncing bouncing conversation topics uh, off my dad or um, some friends that were also applying to other service academies. And yeah, so it, it doesn't have to be crazy. Uh, it, depending on depending on your own comfort with um, just just speaking and, and answering questions in an interview format. I would definitely recommend practicing if uh, if candidates haven't haven't had that experience in their past, just to see where they're at. If they feel strong, you might not need to spend forty five minutes an hour every single day. If if you're if you're already at a good level, maybe you've done some public speaking before. But uh, yeah, definitely definitely do a couple trial runs just to make sure you're not stumbling over your words and and you know what you want to you want to get across. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the ninth is a uh, very competitive district. Uh, McNerney uh, in the ninth is uh, does a principal with numbered alternates. So I was just kind of curious: uh, do you, were you the principal, or were you a numbered alternate, or do you know where you stood with uh, McNerney when you got the nomination? Yeah, unfortunately, I I don't know, and that and that's one a- aspect of the the service academy applications that I never really fully understood. Yeah, yeah, I was so, never well, really notified. Yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, you can go back to one of our previous podcasts and find that out. So it's, uh, but um, you know, we yeah, kind of talk will. about that. But um, the way that McNerney d- does it is he has a principal uh, candidate that uh, he names. That so he looks at all the candidates who get a nomination, and then he chooses the or this rather his committee chooses the number one person, and as long as that person. Uh, gets the uh, is what's called three Q'd, meaning uh, qualified uh, academically, 
physical physical fitness and medically they get they automatically get the appointment and i think you probably would have known if you were the principal uh because he probably would have told you so it's likely you're one of the numbered alternates and you might have been up uh maybe closer to you know you might have been numbered three or four or two two three or four so um so that's kind of how he does it versus uh other uh members of of Congress who open com, do it open competitive where they give the slate of 10 to the service mm-hmm. academy to choose, or they just do principal one principal and then com- competitive alternates. But McInerney does it the most restrictive, uh, in principal with numbered alternates. So, um, yeah, I guess he didn't tell you where you, where you fell in the pecking order. No. And if he did, uh, I apologize, but I don't remember. <laughs> Well, I didn't realize it either until about 30 years after I graduated. So don't uh, don't worry about that. Okay, I've got some time still. Yeah, you got a little bit of time. So <laughs> the important uh, thing is, is you secure the nomination. <laughs> that's exactly right. So I just, yeah, I was kind of curious as we were going through this, kind of what your district was and, um, you know, how how that was uh, selected. But it looks like uh, looks like you got a, a big interest in the Naval Academy from your congressional district. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it looked like you have, uh, in that year you had like, you know, you had your full complement of, you know, people that 10 that had applied. So, um, maybe because, you know, you're by the ocean or, you know, you're might be, you know, m- maybe more of a inclination towards, um, towards the Navy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly too sure. I, yeah, yeah. But one of my other friends that I was practicing the congressional nomination and, and blue and gold interviews with, I think he ended up as our valedictorian of our high school class, and he ended up going to Air Force, if I remember correctly. Right. That was that was the only other one that kind of rang a bell. Yeah. Well, that's unusual to have two people go to the service academies from one high school. So that uh, shows kind of military inclination too. So, so it is interesting, you know, when you look at congressional districts and competitiveness and, and things like that. So you obviously cleared a competitive, uh, congressional district. So that's another, um, you know, certainly, you know, something that is noteworthy in your getting your appointment. Yeah. I had I had no idea. I probably would have been a lot more stressed out if you had, yeah, if yeah. You had told me that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So good. Well, well, good. So Trish, do you have anything about anything else we want to ask him about the scholar athlete leader or the nomination, uh, you know, uh, uh, process? No, I think we can move on over to talking about life at, uh, at the Naval Academy. Okay, cool. So, so Jack, um, what was your major when you were at Annapolis? Uh, so I started, I declared uh, my major at the end of my freshman year to, to begin uh, sophomore or as it's called youngster year. Uh, I started as an information technology major, which is in the most simplest way to, to, to put it when people ask about it. Um, it's computer science, but focused on um, not so much on, on the coding aspect of computer science, but more about the integration into different fields like artificial intelligence or uh, all this, all these new forms of technology that are surfacing now in, in the 21st century. But then I, I ended up not, not performing too well in that major. So um, under the advice of my academic advisor, I switched over to general science, which is, it's kind of just a broad overview and, and you get kind of thrown in the mixing pot of all, all the different majors and no, every elective that I had the, the option to choose, I, I focused in oceanography. But general wow. science is my my listed degree. And uh, are there a lot of you know? It seems like all the surface academies are pretty STEM uh, focused in terms of the degrees available. But uh, I was not aware of the the oceanography focus. It makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, it kind of makes me wish I'd I had declared that from the beginning. I, I actually really really found that uh, that passion there in that in that field kind of studying uh, without sounding too much like a nerd here uh, wave mechanics and and how uh, how the ocean waves impact beaches uh, the littoral zones of the ocean and uh, yeah the kind of the physics behind waves yeah absolutely uh, do you recall your class size as when you first started and then how many you guys graduated with 
Yes, we are class of 2020. We are one of the most unique classes that, that's ever been through the Naval Academy. I think we are the second smallest in history of a final graduating number. Uh, I believe we started around 12 to 1300 and we were down to about, I think one, 1011 was, I think our final graduating number. I could be wrong there plus or minus, uh, 10 or 20, but yeah, it, it was, there were, there were about 300 of us that, that, uh, didn't make it all the way through. That's uh, not a terrible attrition rate for, for the Naval Academy or, you know, any of the, the academies. I think the, um, most of the time people think that it's a lot higher than that, to be honest. Yeah. And I, th I think that's what, even though it's not a very large attrition rate, um, it, it's normally, it's normally much, much, much smaller, uh, which, yeah, it's, it's, you don't really expect that, uh, that perspective, but yeah, yeah, we, we were, we were pretty small at the end there. What do you equate that to? Uh, there were a couple of uh, the scandals that ended in some legal action between um, some of some of my classmates, but mm -hmm. yeah, that, yeah, there were some some NCIS investigations, um, people that weren't kind of focused on on the the mission, the whole mission as a whole of of getting through the academy and and serving as an officer, a commissioned yeah. officer. Wrong priorities in their lives. Yep, wrong priorities. Uh, we had. You know your fair share of medical dropouts. Uh, one, one, ones or twos here and there. I think I had one of my classmates actually cross commissioned into into the Air Force. Oh, they uh, made a good decision. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a traitor. He's a traitor to us. But <laughs> now, um, no, is, it, good. <laughs> is it the same uh, with Annapolis in terms of uh, the other service academies where you have up until? Your, the first day of class, your junior year, to decide that the service academy life isn't for you and to take your credits and scot-free, you know, transfer credits to another college. Is that the same? Yep, that's exactly right. Yep, you have um, that, that first week of class, your, your junior year, you'll sign your, um, your two for seven agreement, basically saying, hey, I'm going to continue. I'm, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to finish off my two years. So you're signing on two years for seven uh, that's describing finishing the two years of the academy and then your five-year service contract after graduation. So yeah, it's the same thing. First, uh, first, the first week of junior year classes. Okay, great. And um, what would you describe life like, daily life at at the Naval Academy? Uh, it was, if I could put pick one word, it was a shock. Uh, I wasn't. <laughs> It, it was a good shock. It wasn't, uh, I'm not trying to put that in a negative connotation. It was, it was just very different than, than what I was kind of expecting. And I knew it was going to be fast paced, but I didn't know it was going to be that fast paced. Uh, I really hadn't had that, that crazy of a, of a kind of a work school life, um, before. Yeah, that's a challenge. The just, you know, living in the same place that you're quote unquote working and going to school. That's, that's really difficult. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's exactly the kind of the point I was I was going to move into was yeah the you kind of spend all day at school then you then you come back you do your little silly midshipman uh, quote unquote work things working on your your fake qualifications uh, I'm I'm only I'm only joking but and then <laughs> and then going to sleep this <laughs> two feet above where you were just grinding out homework for for a couple hours every night. Um, it was different and I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it was detrimental to my experience there. It was, it was just an adjustment that, that I had to make within myself. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's the same for, for all the, the, all of my classmates and all the other service academies. It's, it, it's very different. And, and that's why, that's why they're so selective. They want the people that not only have the potential to be able to make that, make that shift and get ready for, for life as a commissioned officer out in, out in the, in the fleet. But, people that that have the the motivation and the and the passion to want to do that. And how long do you think that that transition took for you to really start becoming comfortable with the increased pace? Yes, yeah, so that that's that's going to be very much on the personal level. I feel like I feel like about after my first semester of being a plebe, uh, a freshman, after that first academic semester, I kind of, I kind of figured out the rhythm with, with, with kind of the academics 
so I, I was set. I was like, okay, this is how the these are how the class schedules work. Here's where when I can schedule time to study and and get work done, and still <laughs> attempt to get a decent amount of sleep. And then I think it was probably about the start of my my youngster, my sophomore year, when I got kind of like the full the full picture. I'm like, okay, here. I, now, now I know we've we've got to participate in parades. I'm, I'm doing sports too. That's when I kind of settled into into the whole rhythm, uh, not just not just kind of getting used to the different academic routine. So about about a semester, a semester to two semesters. That's not too terrible. <laughs> no, and and I'm I'm sure other people adjusted quicker. Uh, I just yeah, and some I'm sure some took longer as well. Yeah, no, I can I can agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> or never. I, I, I saw it. I saw it firsthand. Yeah, <laughs> Rob, do you have any other questions? No, about- no, I don't. I I'm uh, interested in uh, learning about uh, you know who would be crazy enough to go in the Marine Corps, um, and then like who <laughs> you know or to, to be underneath in a you know a submarine, and kind of how all that works. Like, how do they rank you? What's popular at at the Naval Academy, uh, like, you know, what percentage is your military versus your academic that gets you the choices, locations, specialties, and things like that. So I'm really would love to hear, you know, kind of how that all works. Yeah, that's, that's a very dynamic question. Uh, it, it, it's a very interesting one. A lot of, a lot of my friends that were, uh, stats majors, did did studies on this and it's very hard to study because it's it can swing from one side completely 180 degrees to the other side uh in between just class years uh just just a quick example um the class of 2019 the year before me they actually ended up having to quote unquote draft um midshipmen uh, about to be officers, they had to draft them to be in the surface warfare pipeline because there weren't there weren't enough people that um, that listed it high up on their on their preferences. And then and then for my year, they, I believe they actually had to to draft some submarine submarine community folks. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the different the kind of the different pieces that go into that puzzle of figuring out what your what your job's going to be after graduation. Uh, you'll have you'll have a, a completely separate service service selection ranking versus your kind of academic class ranking. So you, you could be you could be at the bottom of the barrel in your in your service academy class, but but have a much much higher um, service selection ranking based on based on the summer trainings you do, how you perform in them. Um, another quick example, my one of my one of my three roommates uh, commissioned as a Marine Corps pilot, and his class ranking was not. It was kind of in the middle, middle to low middle. So it wasn't like the, the one of the standout ones, but he was actually very competitive for for the Marine Corps um, billet based on his performance during his summer training uh, down in Quantico at Leatherneck. His his uh, his platoon leaders and and the the drill instructors down there. I'm not. I'm not sure what you call him. Forgive me, but uh, yeah, they, they saw his performance, and and he really wanted to to be to be a great marine, and and they reflected that in, in their little feedback thing they sent back to to Annapolis, and that that really helps your your service selection ranking for midshipmen when they're looking to potentially commission into the Marines. Uh, does everybody get anybody who wants? Does do they get a shot at Leatherneck, or is that competitive? Yeah, this—that's uh, a tough question. I'm—I'm I'm not, I'm not too sure about the details there. I'm most people that want to get it. I'd say probably 90 percent of people that that want to do Leatherneck get it. They—they they have the the capacity to to hold a lot of people during the summer for for Leatherneck, and and all you have to do to qualify, I believe, is um, submit an application for it to your to your company officer at school, and then you have to take a Marine Corps. PFA versus a Navy PRT physical assessment. And yeah, that's a, that's a lot tougher with a three mile run pull-ups and things like that. So yeah, it's a tougher, 
tougher test. So um, that's really interesting. I mean, with the how it varies between classes, and that that sort of jives with um, you know my, my experience is that you know we call it branches in the army that you know certain branches have more popularity than others. Um, you know, depending on the year and and things like that. So, uh, but yeah. So, uh, what would you say your breakout is? regarding uh uh academics you know and military is it like a 70 30 breakout is it a 80 20 what would you what would you say what would be your estimate regarding you know your kind of the whole candidate score as you might call it in determining kind of what specialty you get yeah i my my best educated guess based on uh just what i've seen uh with my classmates and and the little bit that i've read about it i'd i'd say it's it's probably around that 70 to 30 mark like it's mm-hmm. it, you have to be you have to be uh doing doing okay with your academics to to get high high in the in the the pecking order to choose to choose the jobs you want if you they got to have some sort of incentive to to succeed well and and pursue and study for your academics uh and that way you can get the first pick at the job you want but there is there is that that other chunk like i said it's probably around a 70 30 split uh where, where you can really you can you can get quite a few uh points to your service service selection ranking if, if you do uh very well with with your military and your in your physical performance as well yeah. What if you're an English major or God help you a history major? What happens with that? I mean, does, does that mean that you, is that less chance of doing certain specialties like in surface or, or is that just not taken into account at all because everybody has to take engineering courses at the academy? See, that's, that's one of the things that when I was doing my research on, on the service academies that I really, really, I really, really liked how they do that. To answer your question, there are no restrictions on majors i've seen history majors go to be navy seals i've seen english majors go on to be good to go on to nuclear power school and be a submarine officer you can you can really go any way you want you just have to you just have to prove that you're you're gonna you want to and you're gonna be able to succeed in that field but uh yeah there there is no they don't they do not look at history majors or or mechanical engineers they don't look at them any differently well, that's good. Us history majors have a have a future in the service academies. Yes, sir. Yes, you, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, good, good. So, okay. So, um, yeah, here I'm just cutting off Trish here completely here because I'm just you know get, getting going here. But, but why? Okay. So, I I know you didn't want to be a jarhead, you know, and you didn't want to be in a tin can underneath the water. So. Why, so it makes sense to me why you want to be a service warfare officer. So uh, can you give me an idea of just, first of all, why you want to be a service warfare officer and why on earth these people want, would, want to, uh, would want to choose anything but being a service warfare officer? Yeah, well, I'm, I do have a little bit of bias. I'm, I'm loving my job so far. Uh, there, there was a couple of reasons why, why I picked uh, surface over some of the other fields. Um, it was actually all the way up until senior year, I was dead set on, on going into the aviation community and being a Navy pilot, mm-hmm. but I actually got, um, medically disqualified. Um, I'm a pretty, pretty tall individual and, uh, and they took all, all the aviation measurements, and the metrics, and they, they disqualified me just, they, they deemed it too high of a risk to, to put me through the training and then have me flunk or pass out of one airframe test. And then, um, the few ones that apparently they said I could could or could not fit in. Uh, yeah, so surface. Uh, one of the great things about about going to the surface warfare community out of out of Annapolis is is the ability to pick where you will live and and know that for a fact uh, and and I'll know what what platform of ship you're going to go to. Um, so that I'm, I'm sure everyone's heard about the. Uh, the famous ship selection at, at Annapolis, where they put all the all the ship names up, organized by by home port up on the whiteboard, and you get called up. You can you can pick it off the board, and then go meet your new your new shipmates out in the stands. Uh, that that was definitely that was definitely one of my my incentives there to pick surface warfare and uh, and just just having the ability to jump immediately into 
into a leadership position, unlike the other the other service pipelines, they have some pretty lengthy pretty lengthy uh, training and, and classroom times. Surface warfare is the shortest. It's the quickest way to get onto an operational unit and start start honing your leadership abilities with you know one on one with actual sailors, junior sailors, and and, and leading directly with them. How quick do you get out of um, how quick? <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, I, I graduated in in May of 2020. I took uh, I took some leave to go spend some time with my family. And then I'm I'm PCS moved. Uh, yeah, I moved all the way from uh, Annapolis out to San Diego in August. I took my my first class, and then I I reported on 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 board my ship that December uh, temporarily. And I had one more school to go to, but the first time I stepped foot on my ship was December of 2020 after graduating in May of 2020. So that was really only four months from August to December when you were reporting. That's exactly true. Uh, yeah, that was I was there temporarily in December, and then I had uh, one more short uh, three-week school to go to uh, in, in February that I, I, I got back from recently. And as, as of March of this year, I am permanently attached uh, to my ship. I, I don't have any more follow-on schools to attend. Now, the submarine community, is that similar as far as being able to pick your submarine? Uh, as far as I know, uh, another one of my roommates uh, did choose to be a bubblehead, as they're called. <laughs> um, and I, I don't they – have, they have their own special way of doing it. They're – you know, everything's top secret with them. But uh, they, they do theirs at the uh, Nuclear Power Training Command down in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh I believe they do have some say, but it's not it's not as free and it's it's not as much your choice as the surface community is. Just because submarine crews are so small, and and the job specialties and the the, off, the numbers of officers and enlisted that they have to have on these boats at any one time is very volatile. They 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 need people certain places. So there there is a I've heard it's a preference, not necessarily a selection like like surfaces and are you currently supervising sailors yes i was uh i was in a uh, kind of a temporary holding job because we had we had actually an overflow of junior officers recent recent graduates from officer candidate school rotc and and the surface academy but uh as actually as of this week i got moved into into a division and i am i am one-on-one with my division of about 20 to 30 sailors well, congratulations! That's gonna that's an yeah, exciting uh, advancement. It's it's daunting the first day, and then after that, if you take care of those sailors, they'll they'll love you. So it's 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 been a great feeling so far. Well, that was a really great breakout. Um, I really appreciated, you know, and I can see why you went surface because, you know, the be the ability to be able to pick your uh, ship you want to be on as well as your location. Uh, that you know. That's a big deal. It is. Yep. You know, I, I knew I wanted to go back to my my home state here. I I didn't really enjoy Norfolk, Virginia, as, as much as I thought I would when I went there for training. Uh, and you really can't beat sunny San Diego. Yeah, I think if I was in your spot, I would have done the exact same thing you're doing. I mean, honestly, I mean, I the, the idea of being able to kind of dictate those kind of terms make it. Uh, you know, compelling to want to, you know, do surface, I think. Absolutely. Right. I second that. <laughs> it's one of, it's one of the few, uh, few times in the military where, it, where the decision is fully under your control. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, well, good. Well, um, Jack, you don't want, we don't want to keep you for too long here. So the last question we have for you is what advice would you tell an upcoming high school senior applying to a service Academy for the class of can you believe 2026? Wow, that that number still still sounds weird when I want to hear you, about it. Listen, if you think that's bad for you, it's, it sounds much worse for me, okay? I just want to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I respect that. I respect that. I'm, yeah. I'm, still, I'm still wet behind the ears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I think to, to encompass it all, it's it's really tough to put it in one piece of advice, but, and, and this is, you can branch this out many different ways, but simply just just try to be the most well-rounded candidate you you can be you don't you don't have to feel pressured to be the number one person in any particular field but if you can demonstrate a pursuit of excellence 
in multiple fields, you know, going back to your guys' acronym, being making an, an effort to be a good scholar, making an effort to be a good athlete and, and a leader in, in those athletics, and then a leader in your community. If, if you're putting the time and the effort in in those areas and, and you have a way of showing that, and people will back you up, you, you're not going to have a problem. And j- just to go along with that, keeping everything organized is, is a huge thing. That's something, that's something I struggled with that I had to figure out real quick when I was, when I was applying, um, finding a way to keep everything organized, you know, use, use calendars, use reminders on your phone if you have to, uh, for all the, the important deadlines and everything. Um, yeah, you, you don't have to, you don't have to feel pressured to be the number one in each field. If you are, it's great, and that's that's obviously a big checkbox. But branching yourself as far out into as many different fields as you possibly can, while keeping your sanity, will boost your boost your application far above the rest. That's fantastic advice, and I really love that keyword. You know, pursuit of excellence, and I think everything that you've told us has pretty much embodied that um, in the time leading up to your application as well as, you know, when you attended and, and now. So excited to see where you go. Yeah, I am too. I can, well, I can tell you it's, uh, it's uh, the cat's out of the bag. I'll be uh, headed out to Japan here um, in the next, next year and a half or so. Our, uh, our ship is going out. Um, we're actually, we're moving out to, to Japan. So that's, that's where I'll be going. It's exciting. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. A little scary, but I'm ready. <laughs> you are well, great. Well, look great, Jack. Well, look, as Jack it was great to have you on today, and you know, definitely learned a lot um, about you know about the Naval Academy and uh, how you became a surface warfare officer, and and really just reinforcing uh, all the things uh, that we really uh, teach uh, our uh, candidates uh in order to be successful uh at uh getting into a service academy so we thank you very much for coming on today and um and it was great yeah thank you guys so much for having me i'm uh i'm willing to uh to share my my contact information with with anyone that wants to reach out with me directly uh that's one of the things i i pride myself on is is always willing to to kind of be a direct direct listening ear to anyone that needs it so i'll I'll see if you guys can put my my contact information out if you if you so wish. Okay. Well, great. Thanks, thanks, Jack. And we'll uh, we'll uh, you know good luck to you. Thank you very much. Thanks. We'll see everybody next week. Can't wait to talk to you guys more about uh, Service Academy admissions. You've reached the end of another episode of the Gain Service Academy Admission Podcast. Connect with us at gainserviceacademyadmission.com. Love this episode of the podcast? Head over to iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.